This is Contact Mike. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Doe. It's September. It's a podcast about the things that make us human. Moments of change, indecision and, well, well, contact. Contact Contact Mike is a monthly podcast by Sarah Walker. Thank you. And Fleur Kilpatrick. That person's wearing Snoopy boxer shorts, moving on. It's produced by Kieran Ruffles. I understood the question and I gave it the correct answer. And it's going to start. It's going to start. Now. Now. Chapter One. This month in your world, a girl shouldered her school bag and climbed through the rubble of Aleppo to start a new school year. The night before, the light streaming through her bedroom window was so bright that she thought it was morning already and ran to pack her lunch. But it was a building burning. She watched for a while and then went back to sleep. You need to be well rested for school. Elsewhere, a boy left school for the last time. When asked what he would do next, he said, Dunno. His face looked calm, his shrug casual. But he was afraid. This month in your world, Buddy the penguin was stolen from a South African marine park as protest against animals being kept in captivity. He was released into the Indian Ocean and, without him, his two chicks, endangered African penguins, died. The park has asked the public to look out for Buddy. He has a tag on his flipper with the numbers 266, so if you see him bobbing about in the Indian Ocean, let them know. He is black and white. This month, a woman went back on antidepressants and no one thought any less of her. And another woman was sent a Facebook message from a young man named Liam. But the message said that it wasn't Liam anymore and that Liam had died and that funeral details were being organised. She wrote back. She said some words and Facebook told her that Liam saw them. But I'm not sure I believe that. Chapter 2. This is the sound of three teenagers in the contact mic studio. <laughs> that was hell. That was hell. Oh my god, so where are you from, Sam? They all have amazing oh hair. Brunswick Street. <laughs> and they're here to tell us who they are. I'm Sam, I'm 16, and my preferred pronouns are they, them. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know I was trans for, like, some time, but it was always very, like, loose. It was, like, whatever. My mum was quite chill. But I remember, like, the McDonald's, like, do you want a girl toy or a boy toy? And, you know, my sister would get the pink stuff and I would get the blue stuff. And blue always meant, like, boys and brave. I always had, like, blue and brave in my head. Mm. And that whole thing of, like, being a boy and being brave. And I was quite obsessed with the idea of, like, oh, yeah, be a brave and, like, be a superhero and everything. I'm Casper and I'm 18 and my pronouns are they, them. I had a bit of a similar experience where I had a hot water bottle that was either like a colour of pink or red and I kept like telling my parents that it's red even though it was clearly pink because like I didn't like the colour pink because I knew that associated me as a girl and that just wasn't who I was. My name is Clary, I'm 17 and my preferred pronouns are she, her. 
Yeah, I wouldn't touch the colour pink up until about the age of 12 and my brother used to chase me with Barbie dolls because I, d- I didn't want to touch them because they were um, for girls. At Contact Mike, we look for moments of transition or change in people's lives. Are we recording? <laughs> yeah. Um, this month's episode is about people still in the midst of change. My pronouns are they, them. I just don't want them knowing. <laughs> like, I do want to talk about being trans, but also I don't want them to know. By them, Clary means their family. Like, the issue is when you're out, it's either that you correct people and yep. you kind of, like, put yourself out there by correcting people, yep. or if you don't correct people, they just kind of assume it's okay to use different pronouns. So that's why it's easier just not to come out. Be a filthy trans. Join us. <laughs> We talked to Clary for a while about this. Did they want to stop recording, record under a fake name? We went with record and decide later. A week after, Clary made their decision. They messaged me that if the episode reached their parents, they were ready for that conversation. They wrote, When speaking, it made me realise that I do want to be heard and a part of being heard is using my name. I'm happy to deal with the potential consequences through that. All right. Well, yeah, if you want to redo your little intro, Clary. Um, hi, my name is Clary. I'm 17 and my pronouns are they, them. Sweet. But still, if you know Clary's family, maybe don't rush to them and say, oh my God, so I hear Clary came out on a podcast. No one needs that. I just remember being five and like not wanting to be a girl and like talking mum excessively into shaving my head because I was like I was done with the whole concept and from about like six to about eight I was very much like I'm a boy I'm a boy and then I wasn't like that for ages until I was about 15 or 16 and then when I turned about 15 and 16 I'm like I'm not a girl. I had a lot of trans friends before I figured out I was trans, such as Casper knew me when I was cis. Way back when. (laughs) Um, And I thought about it, and then I was like, oh shit, fuck, (laughs) now we're here. The way I actually came out to my parents with changing my name, it was a very intense moment for me, and also being mentally ill, I thought it would be really funny to diffuse the situation by doing a Wuthering Heights dance and singing a, this isn't a disrespectful thing to you. (laughs) And literally just picked up a cat and ran away into my room for the next hour or two until my parents were like, um, what what do we do? I was like, uh, just use they, them, call me Casper, like, ask questions if you want, but just respect me. Take me back to the Wuthering Heights dance. Did you, like, legitimately script a whole, like, song to go with this? I made it up as I went along, but, like, I've done it multiple times whenever I'm in, like, an intense moment with one of my parents. I'm just like, I'm going to dance to defuse this whole situation. (laughs) Like, your whole life is a musical. Oh, yeah. Were your parents pretty on board from the get-go? Not particularly. My mum was very quiet about it all Mm. and she didn't really ask a whole lot of questions she was kind of like internalizing the whole matter to try and like think about it by herself but my dad like spoke to me quite a bit about it Mm. and didn't particularly understand it all so he would like not necessarily blame me but he would be like so you're not respecting us as parents Mm. by 
changing your name because you're not respecting our decision when you were born. I'm like, well, it's no one's decision, really. It's how I feel, and I don't feel comfortable in a feminine name. Mm. Like, I prefer androgynous pronouns. And eventually he did come to accept that and, like, joked about my nickname being my birth name. And I was like, no, that's not really a joke. Mm. So he started giving me the name Kaspovich as, like, a Russian version of my name. <laughs> so it's, like, his own joke to remember to say my correct name. My grandparents came over to, like, wish my dad a happy birthday and... Mm. It was just strange that I haven't told my extended family anything about, like, transness or queerness or mm. anything like that, but my dad was using my correct name in front of them, yeah. and it was just kind of surreal that I didn't have to come out to anyone mm. for me to be respected, mm. which was quite nice. Mm. What was the process of choosing the name Casper? It actually was in the making for quite a while, just because, like, I never really associated with my birth name, mm -hmm. and... I came across, like, a lot of different names, and I quite liked foreign names because, especially to Western people, it was quite hard to understand whether it was feminine or masculine. Mm -hmm. So I had, like, Riley and Nico and Laika and other things like that. But I came to Casper because, like, it almost related to my gender in that, like, it's a ghost, like, it's not really so existent, mm -hmm. and also it matches my white hair. I relate more so to being a boy than anything else, but not all the time. So it's more comfortable to be, like, just nothing and then a little bit of this mm -hmm. rather than, like, non-conforming completely. Like your Instagram profile, um, your description is soft boy and space prince. Space <laughs> prince is my favourite descriptor. So, like, what are the qualities of, of soft boyness? Well, I just want to take down the cure and say that boys do cry, <laughs> and quite a lot. <laughs> but I just kind of want to rearrange the whole idea that men have to be a certain way to be classified as, like, masculine, because I find myself quite masculine, even though I'm currently wearing a dress mm. and makeup, and I still feel like I'm more of a boy than anything else. Clara, you're in this space now where not everyone in your life is aware of your secret superhero identity. Yep. We're uh, <laughs> laughing about this on the way here, being like, yes, Sis Clary is here. She's here. <laughs> yeah, she hasn't been here for a long time, but she's here. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're like Sis Bruce Wayne, your true fabulous trans Batman. What's it like being in that space? Like, how does it feel when your family use she, her pronouns around you? I'm honestly, like, not super bothered because when I was younger I did look very feminine, like I had very long hair. Mm -hmm. And so I was very, very used to by my family being, like, she, her. Mm -hmm. And um, so it doesn't really bother me, but, like, occasionally they'll gender me or they'll do something which is very, very, like, girl-aligning gender and I won't recognise they're talking about me. Like, whenever my grandma's like, yes, she's going to such a wonderful girl, I'm like, Who? <laughs> Who are you talking She's about? She's not in the room. Yeah. yeah. Do a well. Wuthering Heights dance. Oh, well, I, it actually I works. should have known. Yeah, I mean, even half correcting my stepdad dancing down the steps, it worked really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just got to dance while you do it. Exactly. Yeah, it's all about the dance. Um, They'll get so distracted by your hands, they won't. They'll they won't to. notice how sad you are inside. <laughs> 
you kind of get quite a good read on people after a while because, like, mm. the first coming out story is usually, like, this is very intense mm-hmm. and, like, you're so nervous and nerve-wracking. But, like, the hundredth time you come out because you've had to do it so many times, you just kind of, like, high-five down the street going, like, I'm trans, me too, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about being an out queer adult is that you can control your space to a certain extent. But kids got to get educated. You come out to your peers at school and then you see them five days a week, no matter how they react. And then there's the teachers, adults put in a position of power over you, some of whom try their best and others that really don't. And even for the gutsiest of teenagers, this can be painful and exhausting. What is the environment like being trans or genderqueer or generally not cisgendered in a high school? Like, what's that like? Oh, I got some hot (laughs) shit. All right, all right. The sex ed program at the school is currently run by the health department, so the sports teachers are teaching sex ed, and they know jack shit about anything. Mm. You know, like, they know about, like, I'll load up on carbs and, like, run on the treadmill. I mean, the first thing was sort of, like, coming out as not straight, and there was that big thing of, like, I was in year seven, and I'm like, oh, shit, I like boys, what? Ah, Don't like boys anymore, boys suck. Um, Boys are awful, can confirm. I'm awful. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I sort of like, you had all the kids coming up to you and they're like, oh, Sam, Sam, are you you gay? I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm gay. And like, (laughs) all right. And then I started dating this boy and the head of year seven called up my mum and was like, I'm not sure if you're aware, but your son is dating another boy in the year level. And my mum's like, excuse me, what? I am aware, by the way, because I'm a big fat leso and I know everything about my child. Um, but she was like, well, why, why would you call me? I don't understand. If my son was dating a girl or, like, a black kid, you wouldn't. Like, like what is this, like... Why I, is it any different? I yeah. know about this. Yeah, and she was furious. But, I mean, I felt quite uncomfortable because I could have looked up to that teacher as well. You know, she was one of my favourite teachers and I was one of her favourite students. But, no, it was, like, awful. It was really, really awful. I was 13 or 14, I think that's when I sort of started to go, okay, I am in the environment where I'm comfortable to play with the idea of gender. And then I'm like, okay, well, I don't feel like 100% a dude. So what, what up, what's going on? And so I sort of had this thing of like, okay, well, I'm not a boy, so clearly I must be a girl. And so mm-hmm. I sort of pushed myself to that other side of the spectrum and it sort of made me quite uncomfortable because it's like, I don't like dresses, but this is what girls wear. And it was also, for me easier to affirm being a girl because people knew boy and girl people didn't know what it meant to be non-binary people didn't think it was a valid thing so i found it a lot easier for me to be like well no fuck you i'm gonna wear a dress because that's gonna affirm that i'm not a boy but then i sort of like was in this position of okay well here i am and i'm uncomfortable i'm not a boy and i'm not a girl what up i mean i was also learning about what it meant to be non-binary i'm like okay well that seems to fit me more like before i turned 15 like that end of that school year i was like something ain't right and I remember going over to a friend's house and asking if I could try on her dresses and try on the girls' school uniform. There was something about it. Like, it made me really, really excited, and I was like, oh, I want to do this. Um, and I remember putting it on and feeling like really, really like excited but also very scared and uncomfortable because when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see a girl. I saw a boy in a girl's dress, and mm. I, the whole sort of body image thing as well with the broad shoulders and stuff and the dress I got quite dysphoric about that um and I was very uncomfortable with my image because I wasn't what I wanted to look like and And what was your idea at the time of what you wanted to look like like a conventional girl I guess I don't know I wanted I wanted the whole feminine thing I wanted to be seen 
as a girl. But yeah, I don't know. I think how I wanted to be seen and my relationship with my body changed at the same time as the whole gender thing. And also I was seeing people who had maybe traditionally masculine features wearing feminine clothes and that being normalised. I think that really helped. And I was able to actually just go, okay, I can just do what I want. And I was like, once I accepted that for myself, I was able to just be comfortable with my body. Um, I know it's not been the experience of a lot of trans people, but I think I was able to go, well, I know for myself that I'm not a boy or a girl and that's okay and I'll present how I want and there was just that sort of like level of peace that I came to with that. came out to your whole class. Oh, Can yeah. you take me oh, through boy. that day? Like, what what happened? Oh, boy. Light a fire, let it burn. Oh, my Lord. You know, if, if someone was going to do it, it was going to be me. So <laughs> I was always sort of lapping up the attention. I was always sort of like, I have to be different. I have to stand out. But I remember being in a science class and this teacher kept calling me he. And I'm like, oh, not a fan. You know, I would, like, re- reply, not a boy. Not a boy, not a boy. Um, and then I, I just like was like, oh, okay, this is enough. And I stood up in front of the class, like talked at the teacher. You got like this row of tables, and she's here, and I'm here, you know. And I'm like, just did the whole explain. I'm like, not a boy, blah blah blah. blah. This is what it means. These are the pronouns that you're using. If you don't respect that, I'm gonna do this, this, and this. Um, fuck you, basically. And she's like, ah. Like a respectful fuck you. Yeah. Um, and she's like, oh, all right. And most of the class was pretty supportive. You know, they're like, yeah, good on you, Sam, good on you. And then it was that thing of, like, once I had come out to my teachers, you know, if they used he, I was going to correct them, you know, yeah. and I was going to, every time that they did it, I would interrupt them and say, no, boy. And everyone's like, well, isn't that about a bit rudely interrupting them? Like, yes, but they're not going to learn. Yeah. And it's sort of the only way that people can get it through their heads and it was really daunting for me because every time I had to correct something I would like start shaking and stuff and it would be like my heart would start pounding and shit like that and then usually they're like oh sorry I'm trying so hard it's like yeah I get that you don't need to do the whole spiel just correct yourself it's mm. not hard and I get messing up as well because I'm trans and I mess it up all the time and it's muscle memory as well but when they're not respecting you and not respecting your identity it's really, really invalidating. It's like we exist in this world where the idea of gender has been affirmed and created, and so those binaries are in our heads. Sam has really worked hard to create a better environment for themselves and for other genderqueer kids that might come through the school after them. Sam has terraformed their school, one pamphlet, symposium and pronoun correction at a time. But in a way, it feels as if young people like Sam, Clary and Casper are in the process of terraforming a whole generation. Have you guys had experiences, apart from in your immediate family, like coming out to people and having that really alter the relationship in a negative way? I had a friendship that was like completely altered after I'd come out and she literally just stopped talking to me, just never said anything to me, but would shit talk me behind my back and... What the weird thing is, is that after two or three years of never talking to her, we actually saw each other again and I asked her, like, what happened? And she just said, like, yeah, I just didn't like that you were queer, but my opinions have changed now and I apologise for that, but we can still be friends now. And it's nice to know that even if people were shit at a time, they can correct themselves and educate themselves and still expand on what they used to be. One of my friends had an email written to them 
after they'd come out and the email was along the lines of using they, them pronouns is too hard for me. <laughs> and I was like, well, it, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, you yeah. need to understand that your opinion isn't relevant to my gender. And it's not about you. So one of the weird things about correcting people with the pronouns is, like, when you say they, they seem to, like, use it in the wrong tense instead of, <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> Can you give an example? If my dad was saying, is she going to do this, he'd be like, is them going to do this? And I'm like, <laughs> that's just so wrong on all levels. Like, yeah. you know how to use they as a singular pronoun. You do it when you're trying to talk about someone who you don't know about instead of going he slash her. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. like, as soon as, like, you have to refer to it as a singular, it's like, oh... They start overthinking it's, everything. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to get my brother to use the right pronouns for one of my friends, I was just like, no... Just imagine that there's hundreds of them. They're just everywhere. Like, everywhere you look, there's just so many of them. So many Caspers. They're just everywhere. The definition of gender and trans are changing. Where once the goal for many transgender people was passing, now Casper declares... Even, like, the whole concept of passing is, like, gross. It isn't that they don't understand the need to create the body and identity that you're comfortable with. They really, really understand that. But for these three, visibility is part of that sense of identity. They change the things they can without too much money or too many psych evaluations. You just have to alter your body in ways that you can do on a cheaper budget for yourself like it could be like binding your chest or tucking or I don't know just like trying to do anything you can that doesn't cost a whole lot of money. They find identity through fashion through haircuts and dye and makeup and glitter and wearing men's underwear under dresses and getting matching tattoos and through that frock coat with the faux fur collar that was shared around the studio they find it by having a tribe. Uh, like, I'm wondering what a totally safe, like, open, free space looks like. Like, where do you guys feel the most comfortable? Well, take a look around the room. Cool haircuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, when you're with your friends, it's probably the most comfortable place because you're all gender non-conforming and you know you're going to be respected. And even if you're talking about something that, like, isn't gender, you'll know that you're still going to be respected because, like, they respect so much else out of you and it's just really comfortable. And so, like, what are the best ways for people to respect you guys? Use the right pronouns, use the right name. Mm. You going to have a dance to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, OK, I'm looking forward to it. Like, it's not even necessarily that you have to understand the whole gender thing to be respectful. It's just to, like, use the right pronouns, use the right name, mm. understand that this is what we need to be comfortable, and that's what respect is. Chapter 3. When I just imagine people being as out and proud Mm. of their queer identity as the group we interviewed were, it just doesn't at all line up with my experience of high school where so few people were out and I've gone back and taught at high schools multiple times since and I've been like oh does everyone know you're gay they they must you know it's only a decade or so since I left high school but that feels like a massive shift just in the number of young people for whom school is a safe place one of my friends wore a purple shoelace that was his sort of queer identity (laughs) rebellion he had rocks thrown at him 
like actually he actually, he actually was stoned for wearing a yeah, purple shoelace thrown in him. not big ones i think but like Gee. rocky ones kind of doesn't matter how big they are yeah. <laughs> i was thinking today and i was like what is it what does it mean for me to be a woman. I honestly don't know. I think partly my relationship with my femininity is just a relationship with body fat distribution and how my body responds to input and output. I think the other part of my femininity is this fierce determination to prove that I can do anything that boys can do, to prove that I can be physically strong and I can lift the heavy things and I can achieve and I can have people listen to me. And there's this kind of very like othering relationship that I have with my womanhood where I'm constantly trying to prove something by it. And yet I still feel very secure and very comfortable in my femininity. In high school, I think I had very little sense of myself below the neck. Mm. My body was just kind of blurred out (laughs) in a very real way. And I had very bad skin in high school. So I think like all that time when a lot of girls were thinking about their body and hating their body, and that was sort of their introduction to their female body. I was so focused on my face and my skin and every time I looked in the mirror it was just to see what terrible thing my skin was doing to me. And so I don't think I really understood that I had a body that had the capacity to be sexual at all. I had a body that had bad skin and I had a body that had very long legs and was quite good at cross-country running (laughs) and I had a body that was good at singing. That was what my body was Mm. to me. It was those skills and deficiencies rather than its appearance. I really enjoy being a woman and I really enjoy how multifaceted the term woman has become because I think that if I existed as I am 100 years ago, I would have been thought of as very mannish, you know, independent, fascinated by learning, working, not having a kid. I'm I'm, I'm real old. I'm super old. Nearly 30. Um, You spinster. I know. That would have been pretty horrifying 100 years ago. And so I, I love how the term woman has evolved. My mother has her maiden name. Like, I'm still so proud of that. I'm still so proud that her identity is her own and that she is an independent woman within her 35-year marriage and that she is a ridiculous overachiever and high flyer. And I feel immensely grateful for inheriting that definition of woman from her. I think that's the thing about femaleness, which is kind of a juggling of visibility versus invisibility. When I was travelling earlier this year, I was travelling for a fair amount of time with a male friend. And when we were together, I was just a person I was invisible like we you know slept out in public overnight and did just did the sort of behaviors which together were totally fine and then he left and then I was in Athens and all of a sudden I was so aware of having a body and having breasts and wearing shorts because it was summer because every every man who I walked past did the little flick to the boobs flick to the ass flick back up to the eyes with that just flat look that men give women that's like yeah, I could fuck you. Like, and I was in a park and I was having a nap and I woke up and there was a man sitting and watching me. And I was like, huh, well, I guess he doesn't very often see people with big backpacks having a nap in a park. So I went back to sleep and then I woke up and I looked over at him and he was watching me still, uh, except this time he was masturbating. And I was like, I'm so here. Like, I'm so visible because I'm a woman here. In Melbourne, in Australia, for some reason, I'm mostly quite invisible on the street. Or people, if they notice me, don't act on it. 
but traveling is the space where like in America and also in parts of Europe you're so aware that you're a woman you have this extraordinary dissociative experience with your body where you're like I don't want to be in this you start hunching your shoulders and and pulling your clothes down and and being like I want to be less female I want to be less woman in this space it kind of makes me think about the whole passing thing that, that came up in the conversation you know and how this sort of understanding of privilege that we're growing into as the right to be default, the right to just be normal, to be mm. inconsiderable. I think the, the gang that we spoke to are very much aware of the idea that as they present in public, they will not have that privilege of being ignored, of being default, of being part of the wallpaper of life. Mm-hmm. What I found really great about listening to their conversation was that I feel like it's the exact same process with uh, an enhanced vocabulary. Mm. They had more ways of talking about the things that I did when I was negotiating. What is masculinity to me? What is maleness to me? What is my feminine side? You know, which was these clunkier vocabulary of yesteryear. What does being a man mean to you today? My debating coach was a uni law student a few years old. I mean, she used the term reconstructed male, <laughs> um, which I've not really encountered again since, but it's this idea that you know, feminism happens, masculinity feels horribly insulted, um, <laughs> goes away into a corner and like throws away some pieces and fits together some of the other pieces differently and comes back reconstructed. You know, so now it's okay to cry and it's okay to talk about feelings sometimes and it's okay to like art <laughs> and um, musical theatre. Like, that masculinity can contain this too. For me, there was this broadening of what masculinity could be. And, you know, it starts to seem really crazy the more you sort of unpick this idea of there being a pure masculinity and a pure femininity and, and that existing in any real person in the real world. You know, it's like, where even is it? Contact Mike is a monthly podcast about people by Flo Kilpatrick and Sarah Walker, produced by Karen Ruffles. You can find us at contactmikepodcast.com. We would love it if you followed us on social media and reviewed us on iTunes. This has been Contact Mike. This episode's this episode ends, ends now. Now. Oh, Thomas, I miss you already.